Hey friends, Scott Sullivan here, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And I'm excited to share with you today um, another piece of what we've been talking about, the watershed principle. It's actually the first stream in the watershed principle. And as always, we want to maximize the exposure of what we're doing to get these disciple-making principles out. So please share this broadcast to your page, if you will. Also, just remember that we're able to do this because your church gives to the cooperative program. Those dollars come in, they filter to the convention, and we're able to do this on a weekly basis and hear the great stories of how that is helping you in the, your local context. Now, we also like to give free stuff away. So make sure that you drop a comment in uh, the broadcast. Make sure that uh, we can know where you're watching from. And Lana, my assistant, will be drawing uh, a name from there and giving away some free swag. So make sure you let us know that you are watching. Now, I talked about the watershed principle. And, and I called it the, the last time we talked about this, I called it the greatest church health principle that I have ever learned. Now, when we talk about that, you need to under, just a reminder what the watershed principle is. The watershed is a ridge of land that separates water flowing into multiple streams into a single body of water. Now, the watershed can supply an entire ecosystem and create vibrant life as long as the watershed is healthy. Well, the watershed can only be healthy if the streams that feed it are healthy. So what the watershed principle does is identifies the six main streams of the local church that need to be healthy for your church to be healthy. Really incredible. Super excited to share more about it. Now, the first stream that we're going to talk about today is the balance stream. And I call it a shift from moving from show to grow. Now, uh, you can get more of this. You can download this whole booklet if you go to gabaptist.org forward slash discipleship. That is our discipleship page, and you'll see that document on there, and you can download the entire booklet that we have created just for you. Now, what we've learned is that believers, when they engage in multiple layers of ministry, they're going to see a higher rate of connection. You'll, you'll see a, a stronger commitment from your people. And you'll also begin to see deeper levels of spiritual maturity begin to happen because they're engaged in these multiple layers. This is a framework of ministry that's going to allow you to grow as a church, but also to sustain that health in the church, which is huge. Because you know that we can do programs, we can do things that will, that will give us a push and we feel really good about ourselves. But sometimes we really struggle with sustaining that church health over a period of time. So I learned this principle really watching my dad in a small group um, ministry context as I would watch him as he would teach. He would try to connect, connect people in different layers, but also in his own small business, he would uh, diversify so that when something wasn't going at a, well at a certain time, it would come back at a, at a different time. This diversification is really similar in the local church. So the church needs to emphasize multiple layers, and the more you connect in different layers, the more health you will see and experience in your church. Now, the obvious question that would come is, did Jesus do that? Because listen, if you start to do things in your church and there's not a biblical model or example for that, you're going to struggle, and your people are, are going to be suspect to trust you when you're trying to emphasize these changes. Well, we, we think that Jesus did. When you look at Scripture— we see that Jesus um, invested in the large group, 
the Sea of Galilee. He spoke to large groups of people when he gave the Beatitudes, you know, was with large groups of people. Sometimes, uh, well, always there were um, disciples there, but there were also unbelievers. There were seekers who were trying to learn because they just saw the power. We know that Jesus had a small group. I mean, he had a group of 12 that he invested. He did life with them and obviously exponential gospel impact through that 12. Did Jesus have a smaller group? Now, this was something in my doctoral work that really became apparent to me. And there was something I hadn't paid attention to. It was a, a layer in my local church ministry experience that I hadn't implemented. And I call it the smaller, because you have large group, small group, and I call this smaller group. It's the Peter, James, and John, John group, where Jesus did things with Peter, James, and John that he didn't do with the others. He said things to them. He had conversations with them. There were investments in, in these three guys' life that he didn't even do with the rest of the disciples. And then the, the other layer of this, which I call the most foundational layer of, of any disciple-making strategy, is the one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. And, and we know that Jesus spent that with God the Father. I mean, you just think about the night before he chose the 12 disciples. What did Jesus do? It says he got alone with God the Father, and he prayed all night long because he knew how incredible, how important that was. Now, our discipleship consultants exist to help you work through these layers and help uh, assess where you are as a church to give you ideas to put these things into practice. Also, our church strengthening team exists for the same reason. We believe that as a team, we can help your church become more healthy as you invest in these different areas. Of course, I'm the discipleship catalyst, but we've also got a missions catalyst who has a team that works to emphasize missions. We have a music and worship team. We have an evangelism team, and then we have a next gen and youth team. So this balance layer, it's critical. Your one-on-one -on -one walk with Jesus daily is foundational for setting a critical layer of balance up in your local church context. And listen closely, the integrity of the entire system falls apart if the leader or leaders are not walking with God, if you're not leading by example. So I hope you'll help our, let our discipleship consultants uh, help you. They're eager to assist. You can go to our page, gabaptist.org forward slash discipleship and uh, get the assessment tool. You can, you can see it there, but you can also contact our consultants to get more information on this. So at this time, I'm gonna ask uh, PJ to jump on with me and we're gonna work through a few questions because we don't wanna just give you this, this broad overview of the balance system or talk about watershed without trying to break this down into some real life nuts and bolts, what's this like on the um, local church level. So PJ, come on here. I think you've got a couple of questions that we're gonna work through today. Yeah, and hello from South Georgia. So um, as you know, we had a, another adventurous weekend this weekend. And so whenever we're talking about discipleship, I always think about how we think we know the things around us. We know the lay of the land, uh, but we just take a couple of hour drive and, and find new things that we didn't know existed. They didn't exist in my world until I saw them and I experienced them. And then you come back a, diff a different person. And so we love doing that as a family and driving around and those kind of things. And so when I hear you talk about discipleship and I hear you, um, you know, giving us a different perspective, that's what I, I think of in my own life is having a different perspective of, of Southwest Georgia, which is uh, the best region in case anybody was wondering. Okay. Um, so um, just, a, just a question, uh, Scott, I'd really love you to just dive deeper into um, this balanced approach 
to disciple making? You know, you've talked about it a little bit, uh, but you know, how does a, a church uh, play out that uh, strategy with making disciples? Yeah, and it's really based on Jesus' model. So if you think about what Jesus did in the large group, in PJ and our tribe, sometimes, and I'm not going to say a lot, but there are some that would emphasize, uh, would de-emphasize the large group setting. Well, I, I think it's clear that Jesus emphasized all layers, that he invested in the large group, the small group, the smaller group, but also showed that the one-on-one was important. So think about the large group with me for just a second. So Jesus preached in the large group. He spoke to large groups of people, the I will call it the hundreds layer. Now, what we see here, these people had shared interests. There were shared vision. Um, these messages uh, tended to be evangelistic. But what we know in those larger group settings, this was less personal. So even though it's critical and it's very important, particularly when you talk about local church, modern context, what that pastor does, giving the message and, and what we do in gathering and, and, and creating momentum at large group setting is very important but it's less personal. So you're not going to get the same connection in the large group that you would when you get into that smaller group. You see this in John chapter six. We also see it in Mark chapter one. Now in this large group, it's going to be more of the open group. And these people, like I said, they're going to have this shared overall vision. But the key here is the the pastor and your staff are really going to lead that. That's not necessarily lay led. So your pastor is going to lead that from example, language, doctrinal, instruction. But I think there's a language we see here, PJ. And in this larger layer, when this is working well, you hear people, guests, unbelievers, de-churched when they come to your church or they watch online, begin to say things like, I'm beginning to get it. Like, I don't understand the whole thing. I don't know everything about Jesus. I'm not even sure if I, if I completely believe. Yeah. But man, there's something there. There's some power that I, I don't normally understand. Well, then you go from that large group. I believe Jesus invested in a small group, the, the 12. I think he modeled the disciples' life with and for his disciples. You know, we see it with the disciples. We see it even when he spoke in the synagogue in groups of, you know, 12 to 15 to 20. Now, this was a, an open group, but, but PJ, I would say this was a little more messy. You know, it's evangelistic still, but what we see is this connects people better than the large group. This is where the relationships are beginning to be built. Now, the language that would be used in this smaller context, it's not that I'm just beginning to get it, even though we do hear that sometimes. A lot of times, because they're connecting better in its personal relationship, we hear language like this. This is starting to feel like home. Man, Elizabeth and I have experienced that as we went to our our church there at North Metro. You know, we love the the large group setting, but we really didn't begin to feel like home until we built the relationships in that smaller group context. Now, the third layer I think we see in Jesus' life and ministry is the smaller context. Large group, small group, smaller group. And this would be the Peter, James, and John. And I think you see clearly that Jesus did things with them, right? Um, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, they were there with him. There were, there were times that it just says that, that, he were, that he walked with them. Or think about the, even the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, it says that he took them a little bit farther. Mm-hmm. And they, they experienced something. They talked. They interacted. But it even said that he left them and went and, and got along with the Lord. Now, in this smaller context, you're still building those, those intimate relationships. And this is what I call the 2 a.m. friendship. Now, I may develop those in my small group, and we hope that you do. It's designed for that, 
but sometimes they don't because those what we call the small group sometimes they get so large it's really not a small group it's a it's a smaller church that you're meeting with but in this smaller context you hear things like this it's not beginning to feel like home this community is home mm. this community is family this is that 2 a.m type of relationship and then the last layer pj that i would say as we dig a little deeper is the one-on-one context with Jesus. I mean, it is the foundation of everything that we're talking about. If we get away from this, the integrity, the fabric of the whole structure crumbles because there may be a time in our lifetime, I think there may be, I hope not, but there may be a time in our lifetime when we can't meet publicly in the direction of where we are headed. And if that happens, most people's spiritual life is gonna fall apart because they're dependent on a pastor or dependent on a small group leader to give them the word of God. And the language that I hear a lot of times here, PJ, is that people, it's not feeling like home. It's not, uh, they would say, well, this is home. This is where people become more spiritually mature. And here's an interesting phrase that sometimes we begin to hear with these people, this community, this family, this place, it isn't my home. I was made for something better. I was made for a different place. I'm a, a sojourner here. I'm an alien in this place because people realize I'm only here for a short time. I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart while I'm here. I'm going to connect in these intimate 2 a.m. relationships, but man, I'm made for a different place and time. Yeah. Well, and so things that are, are going through, through my mind, and I'd love to see what the comments have to say right now too, because when I hear balanced and then I hear you break down all these different layers, I think of how both extremes can be a problem in a church. So I have a friend uh, that I talk to and he says, I feel like I can't go to church because my pastor just expects me to be meeting with a person two to three times a week, one-on-one. And this, and it's so much pressure on that one type of relationship. We can do that now. Now we've all heard the, well, if it's just in the pulpit, if it's just a large, but the other can be true. We can emphasize those others to the detriment of balancing and discipleship. So um, it's really helpful to, to break it down into those layers and kind of map out um, you know, pastor may be watching this broadcast and say, I think I do these, uh, but maybe it's too heavy here and I need to find a way to do the other ones. And so that kind of, I mean, that leads me to my next question that I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on, which is just, you know, how do you transition into a more balanced approach, you know, that you're not just doing Sunday school and big church, you know, that you're doing some of those other layers. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, first thing that I would say here, PJ, is that, is that we spend a lot of time you and I, our discipleship team, working on how we can do this. So let me just say up front, if you haven't taken the church assessment tool that's on our front page, if you go to gabaptist.org, on that front page, you'll see church assessment tool. If you'll click on that, then it'll help you assess your disciple-making culture, and it'll go to one of our consultants who can help you think through these things. A second thing that I would say comes from my own experience in the 29 years when I served in the local church is I think it, begin, it begins with the, the pastor, or if you're blessed to have more than one person on staff, um, and it doesn't even have to be paid staff. You know, it could be whoever's in a leadership position. If you're going to develop this mindset throughout the church, the organization, it's got, the pastor's got to be a disciple maker. He's got to have that vision for where you're going, but the leadership of the church need to as well, because they've got to talk it. They've got to live it. They've got to model that. It's just so important. And then once your leadership catches it and they experience the intimacy of, of transition, this mindset where it's not just Sunday school and it's not just large group, but they're doing all of that. I think that's when you begin to filter that down into the church members where you're 
you know, will guest or see in that. And they, they see the, the life change um, stories and you're using examples and using language in your worship service, but all in your small group. And people are just talking about that. It's part of your overall strategy. And it gives you, and this is what's really important. I would just really throw in here, PJ, there needs to be a laser focus in your mission. If you are a disciple-making church, then that disciple-making disciple piece has got to be in everything that you do. If, you're, if your focus is just worship, then that needs, that's going to be evident as well. But a lot of churches are experiencing what we call mission drift, where they say, are you, are you a disciple-making church? Oh, yeah, we're a disciple-making church. But then when you look what they're doing, they got a thousand programs that are trying to accomplish this that are not aligned. They're not connecting. Uh, their money is not focused. Their energy and efforts are not focused. And it happens as mission drift where you're doing a lot of different things, but you're not accomplishing anything well. Yeah. And, and that's where um, like our learning communities are such a big deal, right? Because we, we've all had great ideas. You know, I've never had an idea I thought was, was bad, you know, until someone told me. So, you know, you have a great idea, you go to a learning community and you say, hey, uh, what if we did this to really get this layer of the, the balance portion of discipleship in my church? Well, I may be telling you that and you'll look back at me and say, PJ, that's great but you just listed off 10 different strategies and you're going to wear your people out and then it's going to make sense. So just because we're doing all of them doesn't even mean we're doing it well, because it's got to be balanced. It's got to be simple. It's got to be something people can engage with. And one thing I heard a pastor say in our learning community, just the other week, we were, we were talking about how do you get people bought into discipleship? And he was talking about a sermon. He's going to preach it in, in a couple of weeks. He's excited about it. You know, how do I get people into these mentoring relationships, smaller groups, you know, in, in Sunday morning, and as we began to talk, it, it just hit me. When it comes to a building campaign, we have a playbook, right? When we're building a building, we think about we need to get resources together, money, people, backing. And so we'll do things like meet with the top 10 families in the church to get, make sure they're bought into the vision. It's not even about money at that point. We want them bought into the vision because we know if they're bought into the vision, they'll do it because they'll go tell 10 other families. And the next thing you know, half of our church is bought into the vision of a new building. But how many times with a discipleship uh, program or campaign or philosophy do we do the same thing, Scott? Do we go to their houses and say, I need you to be all in on this discipleship strategy, just like you were on this building campaign? It's nothing different. I just need all of you to, to be bought in, but it takes time. So you can't just preach a sermon on Sunday and expect it to be better next week. You know, that's a six-month campaign. There's companies that exist to help churches do this because it can be complicated, but it's really nothing more than inviting people to the conversation and, and making sure that they really get that philosophy. So, you know, what, what, what have you seen as success in you know, your previous churches or other churches in um, Georgia? Well, and what I, what I would say right here just really comes to my mind, PJ, you know how we talk about all the time, maybe every broadcast, we say it a lot, is that we are betting the farm on relationships. <laughs> We, yeah. And we are, man, as our team and what our, our goal in, in creating healthy churches. And I think it's the similar thing in the local church. They've got to bet the farm on relationships. So if we are just establishing programs, they tend to not be so relationally oriented. So anything the church can do. So what I would do um, in, in probably the last 12, 10 to 12 years when I was there in Houghton, Louisiana, I did what I call leader lunches. Now, it may not have been a lunch. It could have been a a breakfast. It could have been a coffee. It could have just been meeting them somewhere, wherever. But I was just building relationships with key leaders. And a lot of times they tended to be, you know, 50, 40, 50 and above. 
because I just really respected their opinion. They had um, leadership qualities. So I would be sharing, constantly sharing the vision, constantly sharing wins, because here's what I found. It's harder for people to be against you and to be mad at you when they love you. So vetting the former relationships, I would just say is a big piece of what you're talking about right here. Yeah. And, and, and I would, um, you know, as we're landing the plane, um, kind of talking about balance and, and really looking forward to the comments and seeing how people do this in their churches, because we're always learning about how they do that. Um, it's kind of telling the story. Storytelling is, is an incredible thing that Jesus uses on every scale to drive home his point. He's always telling a story because we're captivated by stories. We're a people who love stories. And so, um, you know, what are some ways that we can integrate those, those life-changing stories of, um, you know, every part of those, the balanced approach, every layer, we need to yeah. tell a story of, you know, this is what it was in the pew, but this is what it was like one-on-one for coffee every week. You know, how do we do that? Man, stories move people. They move the needle. They inspire us to do that which we normally wouldn't do or normally wouldn't think about. So one church that I knew of was uh, they even created a sermon series called This Is My Story. And then they, they mapped out, Pastor mapped out where he was going. But the emphasis of each of those messages, they looked throughout the congregation and found a testimony that would fit there. So they were using local testimonies from their church that would feed into those uh, messages. Really incredible. But what they found was they kept a, uh, a backlog of these on their website. So when Sunday school or life group leaders had a Bible study on ministry or serving or whatever category it was, they could go to these testimonies and they could pull a real life testimony video and share it in their life group, in their Sunday school, or with their men's ministry or, or women's ministry. Just a great resource, great idea. Mm-hmm. And I would love in the comments for those of you who are using stories like this, let us know how you're using that because that is an incredible tool. And PJ, let me just mention one thing here. I met a guy named Todd Michaels that um, has a ministry called Story Drive. So really what, what he does is he comes into a church and professionally will video your person, your family of that testimony, help them walk through how to share their testimony in a video format and be able to get that out to people. So uh, Todd's going to drop his link to his ministry in there. And uh, I know he'd love to be able to help you in whatever context you have. And if you have another resource as a local church leader, please drop that in there as well. We want people to share their story to be able to give the gospel through their personal context and use that in the local church. And we get excited about stories. And so it's just important to remember we can share those over several weeks. You know, we get excited about discipleship and we think, man, this broadcast, we're going to share everything, but we have to be disciplined and say, okay, we're going to get to that, but, but let's focus in so that we make sure we talk about what was today, which was balanced. So same thing with testimonies. They're all awesome, you know, because it's God moving in somebody's life and every one of those excites us. And you can just get on YouTube and go one after another and be watching for hours. So it's important as a leader in the church to be sharing those, but think about how you can do that over 12 months. Think about how you can do that over two years and equip your people like the great resource you just mentioned. So fantastic. So good. We're closing this out. Friends, thank you for uh, viewing, for uh, listening, being a part of the broadcast. And we want to make sure that we give something away free today. So uh, make sure you leave a comment so we know that you are watching. Ray Sullivan, our producer today. Ray, thank you for uh, producing this, getting this out to everyone. PJ, thank you for guiding us and asking just really good questions. And friends, uh, uh, just a reminder, our goal here is to help churches get healthy. And our prayer is 
that this information of these broadcasts will help you in your church, in your context, grow and become world impacting disciple makers.